Well, good morning, all y'all. Um, no, I'm not Brad, um, in case you guys are wondering. For those who don't know me, I'm the youth director here at Crossroads Youth or Crossroads Church. Um, Brad is gone. He has COVID. He was going to be hunting, I guess, but I get the pleasure of preaching this morning. Um, growing up, one of my favorite movie series was Star Wars. Um, I hope many of you guys also like Star Wars, but I loved just the original trilogy. I know they were old for me because I grew up in the 90s, but I loved just the Star Wars story. Just I loved the storytelling. I loved just the plots, everything. But like I said, I'm a 90s baby, and so I grew up with the, orig- like the prequel trilogy. And I know a lot of people mock and make fun of their prequel trilogies. No, I, can, I, can, I get it. There's things to mock about it, but I, I just loved those movies. And there's a quote from Yoda in the prequel movie, the first one, and the quote is this. Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. And hate leads to suffering. Now, in the prequels, we watch how the main character, Anakin Skywalker, gets transformed by fear. We see fear just consume him. He goes from this innocent little boy all the way up to this Sith Lord, this dark Darth Vader, this villain that we're introduced to in the original, or the original trilogy. You see, Star Wars is this classic story of good versus evil, the story of hope against all odds. Right? There's another quote in Star Wars that, don't ever tell me the odds. Right? This is from Han Solo, because as soon as you tell them the odds, he realizes how hopeful or hopeless the situation is. She says, don't tell me eyes because I don't want to know how hopeless the thing I'm about to do. Because you see, Star Wars is the story of hope and a galaxy just riddled in fear. And over the last couple of weeks, Brad has been hitting on this topic of hope as he's preached through 1 Corinthians. And today, this morning, I just want to take a break from 1 Corinthians and just dive into this topic and theme of hope. And so this morning's message is titled, Fear versus Hope living a life of gospel impact. And so firstly this morning, I just want to look at how we as Christians can have hope in a world that where everybody else is just drowning in fear. And then I want to spend some time just looking at the early church in the book of Acts and how they lived out the hope found in the gospel and how it just had radical impact to the world around them. And I hope this morning that we walk away honestly a little bit convicted how can I maybe live life a little bit more hopeful? But I hope instead that we walk away even more emboldened to say, I want to begin living a life of hope in a world that just is riddled in fear. I'll be the first to admit that we live in a dark world. If I just think through the last 28 years of my life, we have Columbine and all these school shootings. We have, you know, 9-11, the war on terror, how terror has become this world that we all know. You know, we have the economy crashing and the loss of jobs. We have culture wars, seeing the society care less and less about Christianity. We have the negative side effects of global warming. We have, you know, natural disasters, hurricanes, earthquakes, tornadoes, you name it, famines. We see a rise in anxiety and a rise in depression, rise in suicides. We see gun violence, tension between communities. We see, you know, racial tensions. We see, you know, diseases and death. We have COVID-19 right now, and, we, you know, we have this political divide even, where each side is just getting far more and more just divided and extreme on both ends. See, we live in a world filled with terror. 
And I don't mean to offend you guys, but a lot of you guys are twice my age, almost even three times my age. You've seen a lot more than I have. See, we live in a world just filled with fear. And when we fixate on the evil and all the stuff that's happening in our lives, it can be hard to say, how can we have hope amidst all of this turmoil? But as Christians, we're called to have hope. And the reason is because we know how the story ends. When one of the new Star Wars movies came out, I took a couple of my youth back in the day, and we're getting to the movie theater, and the kid that I was bringing turns to me, he's like, I've already seen this movie. And he tells me how it ends. And I'll be honest, I hate when people do that. Tell you how the movie's about to end as you go into it. And so I go into this movie, and I'm watching it, I'm like, I already know that Han Solo's about to die. What's the point? I'm like, I know it's going to end. You see, as Christians, we know the end of the story. But instead of getting mad that we know the end, it should give us hope. Because when we go through life, we have this internal perspective of hope. No matter what we get today, no matter what's hitting us today, we can look forward, transfix our eyes on the hope that comes in Jesus Christ. Last year, around Christmas, I preached on Revelation chapter 12. And we looked at how the story there, the birth and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ had victory over the evil one. And that we see that because of that, he you know, started the kingdom of God here on earth and he is reigning in victory. And if you go to the end of Revelation, just read the last couple chapters, you see that the evil one, the sin, the evil, all this suffering in the world gets thrown into the fiery pit and is destroyed for eternity. And then we see this beautiful image of God coming down onto a new earth and reigning together with us in this perfect fellowship where there is no more pain, there is no more suffering, no more hardships, no more sin, no more evil, and we get to reign side by side in community with God on this new earth. See, we know how the story ends, and so we can have hope. We're called to be the light of the world. We're called to be that shiny city on a hill. Peter, or sorry, Paul, writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, just temporary but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul writes in Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his, this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit in whom we have been given. The author of Hebrews writes, let us hold fast to the confession of hope without wavering because he who promised it is faithful. You see, we can have hope amidst the darkness and all the fear in the world when we transfix our eyes on the hope that comes in Christ. This is called the internal perspective of hope. 
not having the things that happen to us stop us from looking forward to the hope that is found in Christ. First Peter writes, or Peter writes in First Peter, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into this marvelous light. So we're called to be a light to the world around us. The early church is a great example of how to be the light in the world around them. They're a great example of how to live lives of hope amidst the hardships, amidst all of the turmoils and all the bad things that were happening, all the famines that were going on, and even the persecution and even death. And because of the hope that they displayed, the gospel had impact everywhere they went. So this morning, I want to spend some time just looking at a couple of the stories in Acts. I wish I could go through all you know, 28 chapters today, but I'd be up here for an hour, and a lot of you guys would be missing hunting time or missing the Vikings game, so I won't. But I'm just going to go through a couple of them. So, alrighty, let's begin. So, chapter 4. Chapter 4, we get introduced to the story of Peter and John. They're preaching the gospel, and the Jewish leaders come up to them and say, hey, stop it. Or else, we're going to threaten you. They threaten, you know, we're going to beat you. We're going to throw you in prison. We might even kill you. So stop preaching the gospel. And what we don't see is Peter and John going back to the rest of the church saying, oh no, we just got threatened. We might be killed. We might be thrown in prison. Oh no, what are we going to do? But instead, they get together and they sit down and they pray. And what do they pray for? They pray for boldness to proclaim the gospel. And what they remind themselves is of the hope that is found in the gospel. And what we see in the next few chapters is as they get thrown into prison for preaching the gospel, they get beaten, they get killed. And we get all the way to Acts chapter 11. And we're told that persecution is heavy on the church. It's everywhere. And what happens is they're getting pushed out of Jerusalem and they go other places. And what we see here is even though there was heavy persecution and that if you became a Christian, you could very well be thrown in jail and die. What we see is this really awesome quote. And it's this that many and many people were added to the kingdom of God. In the face of persecution, they decided, I want what you have. And that's because they were living a life of hope. The hardships that they were facing, the famines that they were facing, you know, the persecution and even the death that they faced did not stop them from living a life of hope. And what happened? Many and many people were added to the kingdom of God. In Acts 16, you see the story of Paul and Silas being thrown into prison because they healed a little girl that was demon-possessed. And the people that owned the girl were kind of mad at that. So they threw him in prison, they were beaten and whatnot. And what we see here is not Paul and Silas cowering in fear inside that little prison cell, but instead we see them praising God and worshiping in prison. They didn't let their imprisonment diminish their hope that they had in God. And the cool thing is the prison guard comes to faith through that situation. Long story short. In Acts 19, Paul goes to Ephesus. And he travels all around the neighboring areas, to all the different cities in Asia Minor in that area, which is modern-day Turkey. And what we see here is because he was faithful in living out a life of hope, that entire region... Not just the little city of Ephesus, I mean the entire region of Asia Minor, drastically changed. 
We see religious dynamics change. We see the social dynamics in that region change. We even see the economic dynamics in that area change, all because he was faithful of living a life of hope. I love this story. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible because it has so many implications of what it looks like for us if we were just to live out the gospel. I love it because the silversmiths that were making all these idols were getting run out of business because the people in that area had just decided we're going to get rid of all of our idols. They had this little actually book burning little thing, which is kind of weird to think about. Typically when you think of these like book burnings, we think of like the Nazis or any of these bad people. But all these pagan people that were worshiping all these pagan gods and all this stuff were taking all these pagan stuff that they had and just burning it and saying, I'm done with my old life. I want what Paul has. I want the Holy Spirit. I want God in my life. I'm going to live a radically different life. We see the culture completely changing. We see this pagan idol-making business go out of business because nobody was buying that stuff anymore. And so these silversmiths got angry and they started to mob and it, you know, just kicked Paul out of town, ran him out of town. But it's just amazing that Paul's faithfulness of going and just preaching the gospel everywhere he went, living out the hope-founding God, keeping his eyes transfixed on the hope-founding God. Drastic, radical change. The gospel had impact. So what is it that we can learn from the book of Acts? What can we learn from the stories of the early church? We can learn how we as Christians and we as the church can engage the world around us. You see, there are three approaches that we can take when engaging the world around us. The first approach is called the flight approach. This approach is seeing the evil and the darkness and the fear in the world and saying, I need to escape, and so I'm going to pack my bags and I'm going to come over here and I'm just going to hide and cower in fear because everything in the world is terrifying and I can't let it near me, so I'm going to cower in fear. And just wait for God to come back, and when God comes back, everything will be good. But until then, I'm just going to sit here in fear. But you see, this is out of fear of what the world is, and so you cower, and there is no gospel impact in this. When we just fly away from the bad in the world, and we just hide. The second approach is the fight approach. See, we see all the evil and we see the darkness and all the fear in the world and we're going to say, I need to fight against this. I need to stop it from going because I'm afraid of what might happen if they take over. Because you see, this is also coming from a place of self-preservation and fear of the opposing side. Of what they might do in my area, what they might do if they take over the world. And you see, the fight approach is this, the natural approach that the world around us takes nowadays. If you haven't noticed, they love to draw battle lines. Everybody on this side must hate everybody on this side, and everybody on this side must hate everybody on this side because they're opposing sides of you. They have opposing views, so you must hate them, and they draw these lines, and they vilify the opposing side. You see, the fight approach is what everybody else in the world wants to do. They slander, they spread lies, they name-call all in the point of just defeating the opposing side and opposing our values and beliefs on that side because they're stupid and we're smart because we're the right side. Right? We live in a culture where we don't want to have civil conversations because we're at war and when we're at war, everything is fair game. And it can be so tempting as Christians and as the church to say we need to fight fire with fire. 
It can be so easy to fall into temptation to say we need to use the same tactics as the culture does. We need to use the same rhetoric as the culture does. It is so easy to fall into temptation to say that we need to find ourselves our schoolyard bully that can defend us and stand up for us if we feel like we're being attacked. But you see, if we fall into that temptation, we're no different than the world around us. And we aren't living gospel impact at all. Because we have allowed ourselves to be consumed with the fear of what the other might do to us. Cap Stewart wrote an article on how Christians in the church are called to engage the world. And in the article, he wrote this quote. To engage with our culture from a militant and hostile manner is to forsake our roles as ambassadors, trading our diplomatic visas for military dog tags. It's trading the armor of God for fig leaves of human striving. It's a capitulation of earthly wisdom attempting to fight for the kingdom of God on the world's terms. Engaging the world from a fight approach is forsaking our hope found in God and just allowing the fear to consume us as we become no different in the world around us. And this leads us to the third approach of how we can engage the world around us. And this is called the embrace approach. The embrace approach is the only one of these three approaches that actually comes from a place of hope versus a place of fear. This is the approach that the early church took when they lived in a world where they were persecuted and killed. This is the approach that we see that Jesus took when he went and he met people where they were at. See, the early church didn't allow the evil and the darkness and their fear in the world to diminish their hope that is found in God. See, in the embrace approach, refuses to let us fall into this trap of seeing those who oppose us as our enemies. The embrace approach is how Jesus interacted with the people around him, meeting people where they were at, making friends with those the world would say should not be your friends. Loving those that the world would teach you to hate. I'm not sure who said this first, but a quote is this, that you are unable to love somebody whom you fear. And it speaks true. There is no way to love somebody if you fear them. Think about that. If you are so fearful of the other side, you cannot at all love that person. Our mission here at Crossroads is to impact people with the love of God. And if we're living from a place of fear, we cannot at all Love those we fear. The embrace approach also allows us to embrace the hardships and the trials that life may throw at us. Because when we have our eyes transfixed on the glory of God and the hope that is found in Christ, no matter what the world might throw at us, we can overcome. In ninth grade, I had this boy in science class, and this friend come to me, sit down, and just turn to me and say, why are you always happy? And he said this very angry, like, why are you happy? And I thought it was kind of funny, because if he had asked me that question nine months ago, I wouldn't have been in the same position of that. So you see, going into my ninth grade year, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. 
Thankfully, she has survived, and she's been cancer-free ever since. But when she was diagnosed at that moment, I did not know how to handle it. And very quickly, fear and anxiety and stress consumed my life. And as a little ninth grader, not knowing how to process through that, halfway through the year, I found myself hospitalized with a stomach ulcer, a perforated hole all the way through my stomach lining. And it was in the hospital room, bedridden, and having all my stomach acid pumped out of my nose, that God just showed up there. And it was at that moment, God was pointing out to me that even amidst what was happening with my mother, and even though everything that was happening with me, I could still find hope. Because no matter what happened, that was not the end, and God was already living in victory. And my life, from that moment on, radically changed. My outlook of life radically changed because going forward, I could point and I could look towards the hope found in God, even as I saw my mom go through more treatments and get weaker. And yes, the idea of losing my mom, yeah, that was scary, and it would be sadful, and it was, yeah, it would be mournful, and yes, I would grieve, yes. But because of the hope found in God, I knew that was not the end. That even if she were to die, I'd be able to see her again, in eternity. You see, when you allow the hope found in God, you can go through the hardships that the life might throw at you. It's okay to be sad at times. That's not bad. That's not a sin. But the hope found in God lets you move hopefully past that sadness as you go through that. And so fast forward back to that science class when the boy turned to me and angrily asked why I was always happy. You see, I had the ability to turn to him to say, it's because of the hope found in knowing Jesus Christ. But to be frank and honest, I chickened out, and I said, I don't know. And I just turned, and I just continued doing my classes. But the point here is, when we live a life of hope, what I'm trying to get across here is that when we live a life of hope in a world that is filled in fear, the gospel will spread like wildfire. Because when people see that you have hope amidst the evil and the darkness and the fear of this world, they'll want to know, why do you have hope in this? You shouldn't have hope in this situation. How can you have hope? You see, that's when they come and say, I want to know your God, because if your God gives you hope in this situation, I have none of that, I want to know him. But if we're living just like the world and have allowed fear just to consume us, why on earth would they want to know our God if they have You know, we have nothing different than what they have. There's no reason why they'd come to us and say, tell me about your God, because we have nothing to offer them. But when we live a life of hope, and we allow ourselves to transfix on the hope that comes in knowing Jesus Christ, that has gospel impact. Just like fear prevented Anakin Skywalker from performing the duties as a Jedi, Fear prevents Christians from living a life of gospel impact. We're going to close with a song by Hillsong United called Highlands Song of Ascent. And it's become one of my favorite songs over the last three years because it's a song reminding us to praise God in the valleys and on the mountaintops during the lows and the highs of life. Just like how Paul and Silas worshipped and praised God amidst being imprisoned. And if I'm being honest with myself, that is a hard thing for me to do. 
when troubles and all the hardships of life, it is hard to say, okay, God, I'm going to praise you in this moment, even though right now life is full of crap. But that's why I love this song, because it reminds me to look forward to the hope that is found in Christ, look for how I can live in victory now amidst the hardships, and I'm going to say, yeah, God, I'm going to praise you right now. And so that's what this song's all about, is saying, in the hardships, in the lows and the highs, I'm going to praise you no matter what. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son to die on the cross to bring victory over the evil and the fear in this world, Lord. Thank you that we have the ability to live our victory here and now through you. Lord, I pray that when we face the hardships in life, that we remind ourselves of the hope found in you, Lord. And when we're in the valley, in the lows, and the ruts of life, Lord, may we say, I'll praise you anyway. Show us ways that maybe we're living in flight and in the fight approach, Lord. Show us ways that we can begin to change how we engage the world and instead begin to embrace those around us, Lord, and embrace the hardships that we face. Lord, thank you for living in victory. Thank you for defeating the evil and the darkness of the world. In Jesus' name. Amen.